I love the generative moment in a really engaging conversation when the world falls away and you forget time and place. I've had listening as a secret superhero power for as long as I can remember. I think listening helps build a great conversation and real listening is done with an open curiosity and very little of your own agenda. It may sound easy, but it can be really hard to do. I like to make connections between ideas and people. It's just the way my brain works. Why do we connect with other human beings? I think it's part of the hierarchy of needs. Comfort, connection, community. I've always been uncomfortable with the question, what do you do? I don't equate what you do with who you are. We all have multiple interests, passions, families, backstories, and futurescapes that make us who we are. Every interaction changes us, some in big and some in small ways. I hope this podcast changes you. Red on Red Records is singer, songwriter, guitarist Justine Kovalt, latest adventure in rock and roll collaboration. She describes the label's inception as follows. The idea sprang from a conversation I had with Lou Mansdorf of the fantastic Rumbar Records label. He's been a friend and mentor to me, and he encouraged me to take the energy I had for collaborating with and supporting fellow rock musicians and other creative types and start my own venture. I learned a lot in recent years in developing my two bands, Justine and the Unclean and Justine's Black Threads, building a successful monthly residency that spotlights talented guests' collaborative musical combos, The Mess Around, and co-founding a female-powered regional rock festival and musical community, Whistle Stop Rock. I'm looking now to take everything I've learned and everything that inspires me to the next level with this amazing roster of mutually supportive and collaborative bands. The artists who are part of Red on Red Roster are The Neighborhoods, Night Spell, Sienna Carmody from The Swirlies, and Joyce Raskin from The Scarce, Kid Gulliver, The Chelsea Curve, Linnea's Garden, Cold Expectations, The Daylilies, Devil Love, Gray Delisle, Gymnasium, Andrea Gillis, Justine and the Unclean, Justine's Black Threads, Speed Fossil, Quest for Tuna, Lee Harrington and Linda Vandalin, The Jack Lights, and Stupidity, Stockholm. In the 1980s and 1990s, Justine played in a number of Boston bands, including Quest for Tuna, Grand Theft Auto, and the all-woman metal juggernaut, Malachite. Um, and then you can find her on... Uh, Facebook, Red on Red Records, Instagram, Red on Red Records, YouTube, and uh, Bandcamp. This is Hi Felicia. This is no, this is Felicia, and my podcast is Hi Felicia. <laughs> I always screw up my intro. Um, my guest today is Justine Kovalt. Did I say that right? All right. Ooh, I always give myself a little pat on the back when I do that. And um, we're going to talk about Red on Red Records and rock and roll and all kinds of good stuff today. Um, Justine, as way of introduction, is there anything you would like to say about yourself? Sure. Um, my name's Justine Kovalt. Um, I have a, an indie record label in Boston called Red on Red Records that was just started a little over a year ago. And I play in two bands, Justine and the Unclean and Justine's Black Press. And really, has it only been almost a year? Yeah, the label started uh, in November of uh, 2020. Wow. And so, yeah, so, and our, our first releases came out in December of 2020. And then we kind of rolled from there into 2021. Wow. And I like the, um, when we talked before and in your bio, you talked a little bit about the inspiration to start something like this. Um, was it, um, was it music that came first and then like this was a vehicle to launch that or was it the, the idea of this and then that helped spur on some of your musical stuff? So, um, that's a great question. So, uh, it started out with the music actually. I, I, 
um, was playing in these two bands and really loving it um, after not playing for a long time. And I kind of got back into it and was writing songs and had a rock band and a country trio and just having a great time. And um, and then I got into this thing called Whistle Stop Rock, um, which um, some women that I knew who played in great bands um, reached out and said um, it was uh, Simone Burke started a thread, a Facebook chat with um, me and Linda from the Chelsea Curve yep. and um, Joe Ellen from Cold Expectations. And um, there were a couple other people involved and, and Linnea from Linnea's Garden. And she was like, I would love to do a show with all of you. And on this chat, we just started to really um, get excited about doing a show. And then it was like, it's going to be a big show. It's going to be a festival. And then it's like, we're going to take this festival on the road. And we were kind of joking. Like the the thread is hilarious and completely blue in content. I mean, we were just (laughs) being very um, ribald. But um, we ended up actually doing all of that. And um, because we were spurring each other on, it was kind of like there was no one saying no. Um, no one's saying that's not possible. No one's saying, I don't know why I would want to do that. Everyone's like, yeah, let's do this. And um, and so we ended up booking like 12 to 15 shows all over New England and lining up um, local bands at various cities to play with us. And, um, and it was very, very exciting. And um, it, for me, it was very resonant of kind of the experience that I had on Rumbar Records where Rumbar just felt like a family. As soon as I as I um, got picked up by Rumbar, which was in 2017, and started working with uh, Malibu Lou, who's the head of Rumbar, all of a sudden I was part of a family of bands, and I would go see them, and they would come see my bands, and we would book shows together, and it just felt like, oh, wow, we're really supporting each other. And so the Whistle Stop Rock thing was the same, but it was very um, – it was driven by women, and it was just um, – felt really natural that we're going to do this thing. And um, so we had we were booked all over the place regionally, and then we did our first two shows, and the pandemic hit. So um, going through that spring, we had to cancel everything, which was incredibly painful. And so we started doing virtual shows online, which people loved. I mean, people were stuck at home. They were miserable. They were bored. They were scared. Um, and here's a rock show on a Friday night that I can watch for an hour and see a bunch of videos and you know, we did all kinds of stuff. We did um, live performances, like, you know, someone playing guitar in their living room. We did um, videos that were three different people in three different locations trying to record together. We did arty videos that were cut together to match a studio recording that had been done earlier. I mean, we we would do anything just to entertain people. Um, and that took off. People really liked it. And then... Um, Again, another thing came up on a chat where we were joking about um, uh, about doing a show at a, a drive-in movie theater because we wanted an outdoor venue. That 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 summer of 2021, it was like hardly anyone was vaccinated. It's like if you want to do a show, you got to be outside. And um, so we were talking about this um, drive-in down the Cape that maybe we could do that, and we started joking about drive-ins and. Um, Simone said, oh, well, you know, I know all about the drive-in. I was the dry hump queen of my high school. And we all just lost it and laughing our asses off. (laughs) And and I said, that's a song. And she's like, yeah, that's a song. And I was like, all right, write that song. And within a day, she had written the lyrics, sent them to Linnea Herzog from Linnea's Garden. Linnea wrote the music, and it was perfect. It's like, here's a complete and total song. And then we recorded it from various locations so it was like we all learned it um it was like seven or eight of us playing on this learned it played it sent all our parts to david minahan at woolly mammoth and he mixed it together and then we did the same thing with the video we did a video that was a bunch of cuts of us all in different places that summer just like you know playing and dancing and stuff and it was just so joyous and um so for me the um the label kind of comes from that feeling of collaboration and mutual support and how powerful that is. You know, it's like you have a a vision for yourself as an artist and a writer and a player. Um, But I feel like when I was younger, I felt like I was alone. Like I was pushing against something all the time to like to, to make my own art. This felt like, 
I have a bunch of people who are with me in this, and we're all together and supporting each other's art and each other's success. And that's what inspired me to start the label. So it's kind of a combination of the Rumbar experience and the Whistle Stop Rock experience. And I actually talked to Lou about putting out the Whistle Stop Rock song, and he said, you know what, Justine, it's a great song. I, I love it, but, you know, you guys are never going to put out an album, and I, I like to work albums, so why don't you put it out? Why don't you start your own label? And I was like, are you, what? Are you crazy? And he's like, no, you can totally do this. You you have the, the knowledge. You have the drive. Like, you you already have a roster. Look, you've got all these bands, these little top rock bands. And, um, and I thought about it for a few days, and then I went, huh, yeah, this could be cool. So that's how it started. It was all about kind of celebrating each other's um, music and being successful together. And it's been amazing. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things there. I remember the um, momentum around Whistle Stop and being excited about that. We definitely, because um, my husband Adam is in the Daylilies, we watched some of the Red on Red stuff online and was like, we're so excited to have, like, things at home and to participate and like my for my for myself being able to participate in um I belong to a writers collaborative here in Malden being able to do that online during pandemic and like you know be with like-minded people have our work discuss our work share our 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 drafts have people give you feedback um, and then there was another great prod. There's a couple of great projects that I'm involved with in Malden around different types of artists um, responding to each other's work. So there's going to be an exhibition coming up in April called Lines by Lines and Lines Connecting Lines, Line by Line. I always get the name of the exhibition wrong, but it's visual artists responding to um, poetry so I write poetry. Oh, wow. So they, That's very cool. And everybody did everything blind, so there are no, there are no names on the work. And um, so it'll be really cool to see how they uh, respond. But I love that idea of collaboration, especially I think music very much lends itself to that anyways. But mm-hmm. this idea of... Um, you know, spontaneously gathering an idea in a chat like that and then being like, wait a second, that's a song. <laughs> and then someone else putting music to it. I think that's just very, right. that's very cool. And and there's also, um, I could be reading into this, but I'll see what, what you think of it. I think women collaborate somewhat differently. Um, I, I would say that's probably true. At least the um, the whistle stop rock thing, and um, I played in a, an all women band um, in the late eighties and early nineties called Malachite, and we were like a gang. Like we we took yeah. so much crap for being like an, an all women metal band at that time that we were just thick as thieves and were very supportive, openly supportive of each other, um, both musically and kind of friends and emotionally. It was a lot. It's kind of a lot. I mean, it's, it's pretty intense, but it was really important for us to be able to do that. And um, when I work with men, and I work with a lot of men too, and I, it's wonderful. But it's a little bit more like, so can you send me the set list? Yes, here's the set list. Okay, do you like what I'm playing here or not? Do you want me to change it? It's a little more um, like there's there's somebody clearly in charge. Yeah. And, and you know, with my bands, it's me, but it's still it's like kind of like. You're, you're somebody's directing stuff with the some of the um the whistle stop rocket was very just collaborative like we were all throwing our ideas in and encouraging each other yeah. and um so it has a slightly different texture i also think there's this whole us against the world thing that happens um with with women when they're working together it's kind of like wow this is a, this is gonna work and we're gonna make this work and um it's a, it's a great feeling. Yeah. I, and I think, um, you know, I, I'm a fan of men. Men are wonderful. Um, I married one. Um, the, <laughs> the idea that um, 
I don't know. The, it, the, it, it's a different spirit of collaboration, and it also has, it's less, uh, I, one of the things that I do like about working with guys is it's very transactional sometimes. So it's very right. like, and it's done. Like there's no lingering feeling or thought after the, whatever the exchange is. Uh, women are, women I, I find at least are a little bit more emotionally invested, which is good, but can also be like the, 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 like you said, can be intense, like with, with your experience, perhaps with the, with Malachite, which I could see like the amount of shit that you probably took when you were doing that just. We really did. Immense. I can't even begin to tell you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's like, I, I don't, I hate to kind of generalize. I, what I would yeah. say is that, um, there are women I work with who are very transactional and they're very just like, I'm really focused on what I'm doing here and here's how we're going to work together. And I appreciate that. There are also women who I work with who become like lifelong friends and that's really good too. Um, and men the same way, there's kind of like a split, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, yep. it's, a, it's a personality thing, yeah. but I think, um, men are, um, raised and kind of trained more to be kind of like business, like transactional. Yeah. And, um, and that's probably a shame, actually, because the connection part's really cool, too, especially in music. And I think a lot of it goes unspoken. I mean, part of the reason that people become musicians is that they want to express something that they can't say in words. Yeah. Um, or they can't say in words alone. Like, if you think about the lyrics of a song and what they mean as poetry and then what they mean as um, music with a melody and then what it means with a band behind it and what that sounds like and how there it's kind of adds meaning every every way that you go with it um and i think there are people who like to play music because they just they don't want to explain themselves completely yes. in words yeah. you know yeah, I've I, tie, I have friends who are different types of artists, writers, and and um, visual artists, and um, we talk a lot about like, do you explain your work? Do you want to explain your work? Do you want it to just stand? And I always try to reserve my ex explanation because I like to hear how people have received it and I think with yeah. music it's layers like you said it's it's um people may be responding to the baseline people may be responding to the lyrics it's so funny and I feel like actually I do feel like now because of um social media where it used to be like if you were a musician that you kind of could have a mystique and you didn't have to directly communicate what you were thinking when you wrote that song mm -hmm. to people. Now it's a standard question. What inspired that song? What were you thinking? What were you, your influences for this song in particular? What kind of sound were you trying to get? And, um, and people respond to that. And um, I definitely I have artists on my label who will write a full page about the single they just put out and everything they were thinking and what it represents in terms of the sound direction of their band and um, what influenced it and where it was recorded and what the recording process was. And there are people who are really, really interested in that. So they really like it. I have other artists who are like, do I really have to tell you that? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and then I go, no, you don't really have to. I mean, you can, the people can guess, you know, it's fine. It's, it's okay either way. You right. know, it's yeah. kind of about, about how you want to, whether you want to add that layer to your songs or not, yeah. you know. I used to work for um, Mass College of Art, and um, we used to have a big debate about the idea that a lot of people go to a museum or they're looking or experiencing art, and they're always reading the the plaque or the explanation. Right, right. <laughs> so, so it, it, I think it does. It is informative. It's really interesting to hear the date and the, know the name, but you do have to be able to step back and sort of take in it at a bigger level. Like people, like, I think it is social media that like everyone wants the meta. They want the meta. They want the behind. Right, right. Um, they want the, you know, fan art. They want the, uh, the subtext they want to know the the easter eggs and all this stuff and be in on behind the scenes kind of stuff um which yeah. is it's interesting but i think then there's also the comeback of vinyl mm -hmm. which is 
really about experiencing an album again, like experiencing sound on a different level, experiencing just experiencing right, and the also music. This of the sequencing, and so that's. I mean, for a while, it felt like the whole music industry was about songs, mm. and that songs were mixed up in playlists, and you know, it, it the album is kind of coming back, and vinyl makes you li- you listen to it in order. I mean, you can lift up the needle and put it back down, but you really shouldn't, you know? It, it's like, listen to this thing in the order that it was meant to be listened to, you know? Um, I'm doing my first um, vinyl this year. I have a um, Speed Fossil. It's coming out with um, No Anesthesia on vinyl, and Stupidity featuring Keith Strang is coming out with Waking Up the Band on vinyl. That's cool. And, um, yeah, I'm excited about it. It's really hard to get vinyl made right now, by the way. The huge supply chain issues and just demand issues. Oh, that um, makes sense. It's a long, long time to get something on press. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, um, growing up, what kind of, um, how, how did music factor into your life? Like, did you take lessons or? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, so growing up, um, I would say I grew up in a, in a musical household in that, um, my mom listened to music all the time, and my mom was born at the perfect time in life, if you think about this. She was born in 1940, so in 1955, when rock and roll hit, she was 15. Oh, my God. And she, Yeah, and she was a greaser. She had a DA, and she just loved rock and roll, um, you know, and in, like, 1965, she was 25, wow. um, and kind of going into, like, the whole... Um, the, the sexual revolution and um, rock and roll becoming like the biggest music. And um, she was really into all of it. So, um, you know, we had a, a vinyl record player at home. We had a eight track later um, and she was really into the greatest music. Like she, um, you know, she was into everything from like, you know, yakety yak, don't talk back to like uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Four Way Street. It was like, so I was, um, exposed to a lot of great music growing up, which which I really cherish. Um, and and I remember the day the Beatles broke up, and my mother and my babysitter were like inconsolably crying. I was like, "What's going on?" But um, wow. I didn't start playing an instrument until like ninth grade. Well, so I started playing guitar a little bit in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and bass. I wanted to learn how to play bass, but in high school, I learned how to play trombone. And I picked up that instrument because um, that's what the marching band needed. It's like, if you want to play in the band, pick up a trombone and um, learn how to read music for the first time. Um, I was also in the choir and um, like all that kind of came together for me, like listening to music, playing guitar, playing bass, playing trombone, singing in the choir. And all of a sudden it's like, it all kind of get, it all, it all came together together in a thing that was like, Oh, this all makes sense. Like the, the physical forms of the music, like the way it's written on paper and the the picture that it makes in your head and the way that it feels, it's like, um, and like, um, what's it, what's that one? Synesthesia when you could like, it's yes. like music sounds like colors and you chords have different colors and all that kind of stuff. It was just like, wow. Um, and, um, that was great for me and, um, started playing in bands shortly. Well, I had a high school band, but that was, that was, brief we never played out anywhere but um when i came to boston to go to college started getting really into the rock scene here like really lucky to land in a place um for college that had such a great great rich musical scene where did you go to school um boston university oh okay i went to bc you know started um going to see bands um you know before i was even kind of legally of age i'm like i'm gonna go check some rock and (laughs) i remember we had a show. It was in our um, the the George Sherman Union, which is the equivalent of the cafeteria, and it was the Meats and Christmas. It wow. changed my life. I was like, "Oh my god, this music is so good! I want to do this," you know. And there's some, just something about going there and seeing it, and you're like, "Well, I can do this," you know. And then all of a sudden, you're in a band. Like all that barriers drop away. You're like this is. It's not like the Rolling Stones or the Beatles. It's the Meats and Christmas, and you look at it and you go, "This is amazing." I want to do this. And you know what? I probably can. And um, started playing in bands then, which was wonderful. What was your first big concert? Um, so my first big 
concert was um, so th- so there were three in a year. So the first was the Beach Boys played at a place in Michigan called Pine Knob. That was my first real actual concert, and um, it, it was probably God, I want to say late seventies. Um, it was eh, it was okay. Um, but then after that, I saw the Who um, at the Pontiac Silverdome three days after Cincinnati. And then I saw um, the B-52s at Harpo's. I was underage, and, and a friend of my mom got me in. So it was like th- those three things, and it was such a weird juxtaposition, but I loved all of it. Those are great. I My first concert, I think I was 14, and I saw Jay Giles and John oh, Butcher wow. Access at the Boston Whoa. Garden. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there were so many. There was so much good music, and like I grew up outside of Boston in the suburbs, and we just did everything we could to get into the city and and see and do, and um, you know, found the garment district, and um, yeah, because it because I went to high school in the '80s, so it was just very much about music, and and BCN was big around here, and um, yeah. And FNX was still around, and yeah, so yeah, there was a lot of good shows. Um, but I've seen the B fifty twos, I think, maybe four times. In really, oh yeah, they're they're a great live. Yeah, the um, the folks I live in the same house with are in a B fifty twos tribute band called Bikini Whale. I've seen them; they're fantastic. <laughs> they are great. There's one version of one of the V52 songs I actually like the way they do it better than the V52s but <laughs> um yeah there's so much great uh do you do other types of are you involved in other types of art besides music or is that just really like your focus your love Um my main thing is music I I I I like to take pictures um and I want to get into making videos like I take a lot of video footage and I got this video footage is really cool but I don't I don't have but like current editing skills and like I like when I was making videos back then I was editing stuff with like a a splicer and rubber cement you know so <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do like to take photos um of just just weird things that catch my eye that's cool and that when you're writing music, does um, like what's your writing process? Like, does stuff just come to you? Do you marinate in an idea or a thought or a lyric, and then, or does music so, come to you first? Or yeah, so it's funny. I have so I have two different and parallel processes. One is that I'll have a thought that um, comes to me as a song lyric, whether it's has a melody with it or not, but it's just kind of like, oh, that's a song. And then often the the melody will come right away. And I actually record it. I have a ton of voice memos where I just record a little snippet that's, that is like a chorus or an important part of a song and, that, and turn that into a song later. Um, another process that I use that's completely different is that I just go down into my basement and crank my Marshall and play my guitar and make sounds under my guitar until I hit like a riff that I that feels right and is cool and I'll just record that riff and then listen to it and then the, then the words and the melody will come to me so it kind of there's two pieces of it and sometimes I marry them like sometimes it's like I have the the lyric and the melody but I don't really have the chord progression but then I'll listen to something that I record in my basement and I'll go oh right these are supposed to go together like they came from the same place in my subconscious you know but i didn't recognize it at the time and then i was just going to say and then with lyrics like so for every song that i write i probably write 15 verses and then i just take the best eight lines and that's the song like i um i'm really brutal with editing i i don't I mean, it's other people can do it and they do it well and it's wonderful. But I, I really don't like to write like a six-minute song. I, I like pop songs. I like my songs <laughs> to be, you know, between two minutes twenty and three and a half minutes. Um, so I, I slice a lot of stuff out. Um, you are, are have worked in all these kind of distinct uh, genres of music. Like, do you? Um, 
Is that unusual? Is that just like how your your brain works when you just like all these different types of things? So you play all this type of different music because, you know, your current roster, your two bands are totally kind of different types of music, different sounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one is a kind of like a garage punk band and the yeah. other is a country rockabilly trio. So I do I do like all kinds of different music. Um, there, I can't say there's a genre that I don't like. Um, I like good songs and I like good performances. I like good singers. Um, there are things that just speak to me across genres and every genre also has crap in it. You know, I love garage rock, but everyone's all like, really? That's, that song <laughs> did not need to be written or recorded. Um, but you know, uh, it's, for me, it's kind of about the song and the story it tells and the way it's, whether it's, um, presented with conviction and passion, you know, yeah. um, I, I have occasionally kind of challenged myself to write something, not, not necessarily a specific genre, but I'm like, I want this to sound kind of like uh, Neil Young, right? Mm -hmm. I make this up. Um, and then I write a song, and then I record it with the band, and then I listen to it back, and it sounds nothing like Neil Young. Like, it, it sounds like me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and people listen to it, and they hear something completely different in the influences, but it came from that place, you know, um, yeah. or was inspired from that place. But yeah, I, I like all kinds of different stuff. I like, I like jazz. I like blues. I like, um, classical even. I like country. I like yacht rock. I like hair metal. Um, I like heavy metal. I like, um, you know, noise. Uh, I like girl groups. I love stuff from the fifties. Um, with a passion. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place and, and which is great because I don't get bored listening to music. I'm like, Oh, well, you know what? I've ha I've heard enough of this. I'm going to go listen to some Zydeco or something, you know? So it's, there's always music playing in my house and it's, it makes me really happy. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that approach too. I just think it's, um, at least from my perspective, because I'm a music connoisseur but I'm not um I had terrible I've had music lessons growing up and I was a terrible flute player and I was scarred for life because I did want to play the trumpet or the trombone and I was not allowed to oh I'm sorry that's tragic there's nothing worse than a bad music teacher <laughs> and <laughs> and so I could I could read music um but I just did not enjoy playing and then I was in chorus and I was told I did not have a good voice um so I was scarred by that. Um, <laughs> so I sing regularly in the car and in the shower, but not on in a band. But I, I've always supported, and, and I did some booking back in the day and managed bands back in the day. But I've always been, like, peripherally supporting art, artists, and maybe that's also why I married my husband, because he's a drummer. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, but I love... I love the I love consuming different types of music. I think that that's that's just the way that my brain works too. I like I like world music. I like um, you know I like eighties eighties pop music. Uh -huh. I like um, not really a metal fan, but there are certain metal groups that I'm definitely into. Um, I like some fifties music, but I can't stand the Beach Boys. That's like one of my things. I don't like the Beach Boys. Um, <laughs> you can fight me. It's okay. I have friends. No, who... it's okay. You know, the Beach Boys are actually are one of the most controversial groups because people either love them or hate them. It's like a thing. You know, you know what? who I actually love is the queers who are kind of like the Beach Boys done right. <laughs> like, Beach Boys done punk. But I love um, surf music. I love, um, I actually saw... Um, Who's the big surf guitarist? Uh, Dick Dickie Dale. Dick Dickerson. Yeah. Oh, Dick Dale. Yeah, I saw him in New Orleans before he passed away. So like, and my friend used to play sit in occasionally with Ray Corvair when they played in, on Sundays at Plow and Stars. So like, I, like I like that music. I just don't like the Beach Boys. Um, and I love classical music. And my mother. You know, we had to have, we had music appreciation, so I used to have to go oh, into wow. the Boston Symphony Orchestra every other Sunday and listen to the symphony play, which I found boring at the time, but, um, it, but I also mm -hmm. like to consume different types of 
books and different types of mu- uh, movies. And hey, that's a question for you. When you're watching something, do you listen to the music, or is that like background, like you for you, just like everybody I, else? I actually do listen to the music, especially you know I like um, kind of like really big um, like fantasy stuff, like um, Lord of the Rings or. Um, Game of Thrones or Stars, or whatever, and mm-hmm. the music's thematic, and uh, oftentimes it represents either a character or a, a, a culture. Yes, that's in, you know what I mean. And so when it, it's like, oh, there's the Rohan theme, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if it's good, it's really good. If it's bad, it's awful. Like I think bad music in a movie can be really distracting, um, but but I, when it works, it works. So what do you see on the horizon for Red on Red Records? Like, where would you like to take it? Do you have an idea? So, well, so um, uh, 2022 is kind of a big year for us because we're moving from um, 2021, starting with digital singles, really, and really focusing on those singles and getting, like, the best recording of a great song and a video and putting it out as a single. And then we did a, comp- a compilation at the end of the year. And I had a couple... Um, full lengths and EPs in 2021, but they were few and far between. But as these artists are kind of um, writing more and recording more and playing out more um, and building their catalogs, we're going into 2022 and everybody wants to put albums out. So there's going to be a lot of full lengths in 2022. Um, and the thing about Red on Red, it's, it's, it is a record label, but um, the, the slogan is music. Uh, records, rock shows, and more. And so I'm booking a lot of showcases, kind of moved from virtual to live showcases, um, starting to um, think about more, um, setting up like um, uh, opportunities for touring bands who are coming into the region to play with a, a local bands who have a good audience. Nice. Um, looking at, um, you know, looking at sync licensing, you just mentioned like the the music that's in movies. Like I would love to have some of my artists have their music in movies or TV shows or, or what have you. Um, car commercials. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Car commercials all the way. Um, and, and also um, for me, the great thing about running this, um, this label is that I learn something new literally every single day. And at this point in my life, to me, that's a miracle. It's like, um, so I'm constantly doing research and um, trying to um, understand things better and understand the music industry. And music industry is tough now for artists. It's sort of like um, you put your heart and soul into writing and recording and, and also a lot of money into writing and recording and doing your art, your cover art and making a video, whatever you're going to do. And it goes out there and you get a three percentage points of a penny on every stream or whatever it is you know and meanwhile there's a whole industry of people between the artist and their audience that um they're there to make money and and in the role of connecting you with your audience and there's nothing wrong with that it's kind of like it these the folks have services that they provide and um, some of them are really really good but from my perspective if you're a good band, a good songwriter, a good performer, and you have, you know, um, 10,000 fans, shouldn't you be able to break even on your recording? I think you should. And this is actually a passion of mine to, to, to try to create um, a little corner of the music industry where musicians break even. Yeah, you equity. Know? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't even think most of the artists that I'm working with don't expect to make a living playing music, but they're sinking a lot of their time and money into it. And, you know, for what, um, you know, it's like thousands and thousands of people hear a song, see a video, download it, stream it. And the artist gets virtually nothing. And that's, I feel like that's something I would love to change in my lifetime. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of my credo when I book a show or something, I'm like, bands get paid first, when we distribute music, bands get paid first. And um, that's kind of how my label is structured. But I want to see it work. I want everybody to do well, you know. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. That's a lot. That's um, I will make a comparison with um, 
writers and publishing, a lot of writers I know are self-publishing because there's so many layers between you and getting a book out. And, right. um, and, and it's an industry, and sometimes that's a great, helpful thing, depending upon what type of book you're, you're writing. But what if you have something to say that's valuable to the world that other people would really jive with, and, and nobody can read it because you can't get it out, because you can't find the agent to find the publisher, yeah, to find the exactly. editor, to find the thing. So self-publishing is, is more and more commonplace because you can get, you can at least, you know, at least split split the difference and people will you have an actual product and a thing that people can read and hold and handle and love and share and right right that's that's the important thing i i love now that things are opening up post you know we're not really post pandemic but what is it when it's just a continuous cycle it's not a pandemic it's <laughs> right. a it's a i forget that's the a- word and it's endemic. Endemic. The endemic that um, there's more and more shows that are happening. There's more um, places to see music. People are coming out more and more. Um, I hadn't been to the Plow in a million years and seeing a show there um, with the Daylilies and with um, Rick Berlin was amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I, I love the Plow so much. Um, you know, I do the mess around. I think I've probably played at the Plow. 60 or 70 times in the last five years. Um, and it's one of my favorite places to play. I was just going to say, do you have a favorite place to play? Either, re- so, you know, closed or now. Yeah. I really love the plow. I really like Sally O'Brien's. Um, I like Sally's too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fun place to play. It's just kind of like relaxed, you know, and they, there is, if you play one of the early shows, there's this built in audience of people who dance and it's just beautiful. Um, I really like Toad. I haven't played there, but I like going there. Um, I used to love to see bands The Lizard because the sound there is really good. Yes, yes. Um, once Somerville played a lot there, like for big shows. Um, it's a big room, um, or was a big room that you really you have to work to fill. But um, good, good vibe. Um, but yeah, there's it's um, Midway played there a few times. I love a Midway matinee on a Saturday. That's one of my favorite things. It's um, in so JP still, though. JP's <laughs> it's a hall. It's a hall. Um, also a hall, but worth it is yes. um, square, square Root and Rosie. That's a fun place. Um, I've, I've played a couple shows there, and it's always just a blast. So there are places. There are places to play, and there. Um, you know, I've been exploring some um, new places, like bigger, um, bigger venues for my showcases. So. Um, I've been doing shows at the French Club in Waltham mm-hmm. with um, – it's a collaboration I'm doing with David Minahan from Woolly Mammoth and yep. the Neighborhood. Cool. It's called Red Mammoth Concerts. And so we're, we what we do is right across the street is the French American Victory Club in Waltham. And they're friendly with David because, you know, the two businesses are across the street from each other. Um, but David brings in the back line. He brings in the sound system, brings in lights. I book it, I promote it, um, and it's really fun, really like a nice vibe, um, great venue. And then um, the other place that um, that I've done a show recently that I really liked is Sanctuary in Maynard. And that's a hall. I mean, it's Maynard, but there's lots of parking. But it's a 170-year-old church. It's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, wow. And Yeah, and um, it, it's beautiful. It sounds amazing, like you would expect a church to sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a really nice bar there. Like, I, I, I'm booking something. I think, oh, I'm playing there May 21st with the, the Nervous Eaters. My band is playing there with the Nervous Eaters. Um, I'm probably going to book something there in the late summer or early fall as a showcase. So I'm kind of finding new places because some of the, like, the, that kind of mid-size to large place is hard. Um I, I was going to mention, too, I went to a great show at the Jungle. Um, it was a Linnea's Garden show probably three weeks ago, and that was fantastic. It was them and Babes, and I can't remember who else, but it was really good. It's uh, it's so nice to see, like, um, uh, I think even um, Adam and I were saying how, you know, when you're playing in a mix 
with other bands and seeing like, oh, it's Linda Bean and and it's Linnea, and then you know, even though it's different types of music, how somewhat they somewhat complement each other, and yep. it's because at some point people have played with each other uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. in different yeah. in different configurations and. Um, they sort of uh, sync up in some way, which is kind of cool. And um, yeah, I find the folks are very supportive of each other, very supportive. Like I always yeah. see Linnea out at shows. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, yep. She's yeah. out there. Um, and uh, Linda Viennes is out there yes. from Girl with a Hawk. I don't know um, her as well, yeah. Uh, Simone Burke from Kid Gulliver is mm-hmm. out a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's really nice, and I'm still um, also really connected to the Rumbar family. So I love to go see Rumbar, Rumbar bands too. Like there's all they're, they're, they that that core group of bands are always playing out somewhere in town, and those, those shows are really fun too. So it's kind of like you know, look at the listings and get out there and see some rock and roll. Yeah, and um, do you? I know you have some links that we'll definitely put up there for folks. Are there any suggestions do you have for people who are like, I'm looking for music, but I don't know where to look for it? Or um, so I'll I'll tell you. Uh, do you subscribe to Amy's list? No, Amy. Amy. So Amy Prohaska, she it's an email goes out once a week on Thursday nights. And she summarizes all the great shows that are happening that weekend. And then she um, then she also lists, like, future shows. And um, it's, the like, for me, like, when I first started playing again, like, five years ago, my one of my best friends, Jayon, was like, this is Amy. You have to ask for her, like, ask to get to, to get her list every week. And it's, it's a compendium. It's amazing. That's really good. Um, for me, also... Um, I know that, um, you know, Facebook is waning in its relevance, but Facebook events is, the, is for me, the killer app of Facebook. And right. um, unfortunately, it feels like it's kind of being deprecated now, but it's like just like sign up to like and follow the bands that you're interested in and the venues that you're interested in. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you'll start getting suggestions and you'll start to see what's happening. Um, yep. That's Boston Groupie News also does a show listing. Yep. So there's a lot of places you can go to find out what's going on. Yep. What do you um, think of the state of radio nowadays? Well, so um, so uh, terrestrial radio of a kind of corporate nature, not terribly interesting to me. That's kind of not, not what I'm into, but I love indie radio. And so whether it's college radio like WMFO or it's um, it's more of a kind of boutique thing like um bumblebee or um you know mark skin radio or um radio all the radio indie alliance stations um as a label that's been amazing for me and before that as an artist that's been amazing for me because um i get my music out um and it's played all over the world i mean we're played in australia we're played in japan we're played in in um Sweden, we're played in Spain, we're played in France, we're played in the UK, played in Ireland, played in Canada, like all, like played in South America. It's just like, um, and when you think about the number of listeners that that is, that are, they're hearing your music, it's a wonderful thing. And the DJs are, um, so incredibly supportive. Um, so I, I'm a huge fan of that and I listen to it a lot. I also listen to satellite radio. I listen to, um, Little Stevens Underground Garage. Yeah, that's great. Um, listen to Outlaw Country, um, and Little Steven just launched this new thing called the um, the Coolest Songs Station, which is a um, internet only station. But it's it's like they on Little Stevens Underground they pick the coolest song in the world every week. They've been doing it for ten years, so there are a number of them they play. Those they have a rotation of those, but also the Little Stevens Underground disc jockeys can kind of. Um, take a, an indie artist and kind of have them fly up to that station and get featured for a couple of weeks, which has been huge for my bands. So, uh, you know, Bill Kelly, Palmar Delran, Rodney Bingenheimer, they're taking Red on Red artists and recommending them to be on that station. Um, Kelly Dalyrod is the main DJ there. And um, so all of a sudden I'm listening to it and it's like, oh, there's the Daylilies. Oh, there's, <laughs> That's cool. you know, there's, 
there's the jack lights, there's Kid Gulliver. It's a great feeling. It's thrilling. It's still, you know, that never gets old. No. To hear your song on the radio is just the best. Yeah. Um, and I'm lucky because I have this label, so I have 20 bands. Any one of their songs come on, I go nuts. You know, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I'm. I used to be a big uh, WERS fan, but they, their their playlist has get, gotten more and more corporate. Um, and you know, it's yeah, I, it's too bad because they they definitely had some something to offer in the marketplace. Um, but I like right. I liked all those suggestions that you just made. So that that one's controversial. I'm I'm not really into it. I don't listen to it. Um, but so the the working proposition, and I've spoken with my roster artists about this, is this idea that well, that's where you get discovered, but people will 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 potentially go and and buy your music somewhere else. Um, not sure whether that's true or not, but um, I love Bandcamp. I'm huge on Bandcamp. Like mm-hmm. like just. I like that model. It's um, it's all about artists and um, the people who love them, and so it's again that um, really close proximity between the artist and the audience without a, a huge middle layer. Yeah, um, that I really like. And true, true music lovers are really into Bandcamp, and there's a fair amount of discovery on Bandcamp. It's sort of like, especially um, as a label, as I start to build my roster, and each um, band on the roster has you know, followers, and then they start to follow the label. And then when I put something out, a new thing, 100 people know about it, and they can decide whether they want to download it or buy a CD or whatever it is that's offered. Um, that's been really nice. Um, so that's I, I that's a nice platform, too. And you can do discovery there. You can go there and say, I like this artist. Show me artists who sound like this or whatever and, and discover new music that way. Yeah, I've definitely found things on, on Bandcamp that way. I like um, tiny desk concerts. There's some music. It's on NPR. They have a band come in and play. Oh, tiny desk. I think it's tiny desk. (laughs) 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 Yeah, tiny desk. I know. I love them, actually. That's a cool thing. What is the um, story behind the name Red on Red? Um, So Red on Red is um, the name of my publishing company actually when I started writing songs again about five years ago and it came to me as um it's sort of like um blonde on blonde Mm -hmm. but it's red on red um because I'm a redhead Mm -hmm. um yeah so it it comes from um Dylan's blonde on blonde which I think is actually the name of like it's a kind of pattern for guitar but um but I took it and kind of went okay I'm not a blonde I'm a redhead so it's gonna be red on red and um, that so that was my publishing company for a few years, and then I decided it would also be the name of the label. And then I ended up writing a song that was about what the label's about, and it's it's like a um, totally like a jingle. Like I've, people have told me, like this is more annoying than the Cars for Kids jingle. <laughs> <laughs> it's that sticky. But I had a ton of fun recording it. I recorded it with um, David Minahan, Lee Harrington, and Jim Genota at Woolly Mammoth and it was like just hilarious and laugh, but, um, and then we made a video for it and everything, but, um, but yeah, that's where it comes from. Adam is a big fan of Jim Genota. <laughs> he's, he's a God of drumming. Yeah. He's like, Oh geez. Oh geez. Um, <laughs> Adam's really good too. I've seen him play a number of times. Yeah. He's a, he's a hard hitter. He's, um, he, um, when he's in his zone, he, you can see his confidence. Um, and I think, um, he's been playing for so long, you know, he's been playing since he was 16 years old. He's been in, in a band, in an active band, trying to tour and get out there and record. And he takes it, he takes music very seriously. He doesn't, um, read music. Um, I think that's something he'd really like to learn how to do. And he sort of took some lessons, but he really learns by doing, so yeah, that's great. he is someone who he has a practice pad, but he doesn't really like to practice because he feels like he learns by by collaboration, by doing it with other, other yep. people. So, yeah, there's really no substitute for that, which I think is a really interesting way um, 
like a thing that he's because of drumming he's learned that this is what his learning style is is that exchange like being able to talk through being able to see how other people are what they're doing being able to respond in the moment um but also having like done his own homework making sure his equipment is in is in good good uh a setting you know staged appropriately he's a little anal about where his drums are and oh all drummers are like that (laughs) well it's funny there's this cliche of like drummers like you know um animal and the muppets whatever but most drummers i know (laughs) are they're meticulous like things have to be just so and i mean jim janota in in the unclean he knows the songs better than anybody better than me He'd be like, hey, it doesn't go that way. <laughs> like, you, we haven't played together in like two months, but he knows it, you know. Yeah, it's an amazing recall. And um, I love I love also seeing and hearing and listening to music through a musician's eyes. I find that really interesting, you know, because I'm a non-musician. So they are seeing and picking up on things that I didn't necessarily know where they are or pointing out something that's interesting to see that makes the music another aspect come to life the it usually takes a couple of weeks for this show to get edited down and um so do you have anything coming out in like in april or may that you want to spotlight um yeah actually so it's funny i was going to ask you when this came out so by so by the time this comes out i can say this um so um I, I picked up a band um, that nobody's ever heard of. They're called Canyons and Locusts, and um, they are two-piece um, drummer and guitar player. And um, this never happens, but um, they sent me their stuff, and I had never heard of them, but I was like, oh, okay, I'll listen to it. And I was 30 seconds into the first song, and I was like, I love this. It's so different and weird and um, compelling. I don't know. I just like just it blew my mind. And um, so I'm putting uh, their first single out. Um, it'll be like March 16th. So it'll probably be out by the time this comes out. Um, they're called Canyons and Locusts. The song is called Arms on the Table. And um, they're kind of like, they, to me, their vibe was very like guided by voices. Yep. kind of feel um just think they're wonderful and then um coming up soon let's see i'm looking at my my big calendar i put everything on the wall in a huge calendar um so um linnea's garden fashion show album is coming out april 1st the chelsea curve album all the things is coming out March 31st. That's exactly a year after their first single came out on Red on Red. Wow. So that album will include their eight singles plus, I think, five or six new songs. It's amazing. And we're going to have CDs of that as well. Um, we also have um, the Speed Fossil album coming out on April 8th. Um, and that'll be on, uh, that'll be digital, CD, and vinyl. And um, they, we just uh, picked them up um at the end of december and put them on the label comp and ended up really just really liking um the the whole album the stellar songwriting and performance on that um i'm gonna have some new stuff from andrea gillis band coming out um and then um one of the big things um that i'm really excited about as well is um gymnasium which is charles hansen oh yeah and his cast of 22 of Boston's finest players, um, and it's a double album. It's a concept album. It's astounding. So the first single came out um, at the beginning of our early February. No, sorry, February 24th. Um, but we're going to have another single in April, and that full album's coming out in May. Um, so that's just kind of a taste of it. The other thing that's happening that's really exciting is I have three bands going on tour. So. Um, Kid Gulliver is going to be touring Spain. Linnea's Garden is doing an East Coast tour to support their record. And the Chelsea Curve are 
going to be um, playing International Pop Overthrow in Liverpool and touring the UK. Um, Yeah, it's exciting. (laughs) So bands are getting out there or taking over the world. It's very thrilling. That's awesome. Well, this has been a like an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time. I, I was I was fascinated. I'm always fascinated with other redheads, but <laughs> I was also fascinated by like the the whole um, everything that you did during um, COVID, and then also you know the connection because of the Daylilies, and just the roster, and then the concept behind Red on Red that you were explaining to me, and. Um, I'm sure that we've been at the same shows, but I will definitely make sure next time that we're yeah, out and about. Hi. We'll say hi. Oh, and just and just to mention, I, I know you know this already, but for your listeners, the Daylilies are going to be putting out a full length this yes, year as well. And I, it's, so I've, I've heard a lot of the cuts. It's amazing. It's going to yeah, be great. I've I've heard a lot of the cuts as well. <laughs> we can get it sometimes to play in Alexa, and then and then and then of course he thinks Alexa is good thing. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're really looking forward to their their album coming out. It's been a long time in the in the making, and um, it's gonna sound it's it sounds amazing. And um, yeah, yeah. The, the very show, Yeah, their show the other night. They're always writing. Everybody's writing um, new music. There's three people in the band that write songs, so it's um, they're you know they're starting to add new things to their set which was cool and um i mean there's things that i love anyways um i love stockholm syndrome so yeah me too (laughs) yeah i love that one too that video kills me yeah Um, (laughs) one of my favorites
Hi Felicia is produced by Felicia Ryan, and she retains all broadcast rights and copyrights to this program. Theme music provided by Stephanie Griffin. Technical support by Heather McCormick. Our sound editing is done by Sully Banger. Social media maven, previous guest, and my online content guru is Rachel Lento. Hi Felicia is supported in part by a generous grant from the Malden Cultural Council and recorded in cooperation with UMA Urban Media Arts in downtown Malden. You can find Hi Felicia on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, and most platforms a podcasts are found. Please take a moment to like, download, write a review, and share this program. You are our ears. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Hi Felicia or our guest or how to support this podcast, you can visit our Facebook page, our Instagram page, or www.feliciaryan.com, which is F-E-L-I-C-I-A-R-Y-A-N. And again, thanks for listening.